My name is Angela Alimo O'Donnell. I'll be reading the poem Flannery's Prayer from my collection Andalusian Hours, Poems from the Porch of Flannery O'Connor. Flannery's Prayer begins with an epigraph from Flannery O'Connor's prayer journal in which she writes, what I'm asking for is really very ridiculous. Oh Lord, I am saying at present, I am a cheese make me a mystic immediately. Sometimes I tire of waiting for the transformation. The moment I move from milk product to holy hallelujah, halo on my head instead of rind, my smell suddenly sweet instead of sour, a rose growing amid the dairy farm of life. My mama and my proper Catholic aunts pray for rain, good weather, won't they be surprised to learn what their odd daughter hankers for? Wisdom to light on me like a pet bird pecking its feed from my open hand. Vision that permeates walls and doors that shut me up and away from your love. The stuff that cheeses like me dream of. Welcome to Poet Kind Podcast. Today we're doing something a little different in that we are going to celebrate the birthday of Flannery O'Connor. If you're new here, welcome. Thank you for joining us. For our regular listeners, welcome back. The last few weeks have brought changes to all of our lives, and the disruption that comes with that means schedules change, priorities change, situations change. We're dealing with a global realignment of thinking, and it has been interesting to see how it brings out both the best and worst in some of us. This is unfamiliar territory, and as we learn to navigate it, I sincerely pray that you are able to experience the best in the people around you, and that you can find hope, encouragement, and the support you need. I will do my best to bring something good your way from time to time. In my household, we made the decision to move my husband's elderly parents into our home. They are 90 and 95, and we are working hard to find our new normal. I was able to eke out a little bit of time to chat with Angela Alimo O'Donnell about her newest book, Andalusian Hours, Poems from the Porch of Flannery O'Connor. Angela is a professor of literature at Fordham University in New York, is the author of 12 books, with eight of those being poetry. Written from the perspective of O'Connor, Andalusian Hours possesses the unique wit and humor as well as the deep well of wisdom that rises out of her writing. Angela has studied Flannery O'Connor extensively and embodies her voice in a remarkable way. Hi, Angela. Welcome to Poet Kind Podcast. Thank you so much for spending a few moments with me today. Thank you, Susan. I'm delighted to be able to be with you and to chat with you for a while about this new book. I was, I was really taking almost, well, immediately when I saw what it was. Um, I love Flannery O'Connor's work. I've read as much as I can possibly get my hands on. But you wrote Andalusian hours poems from the porch of flannery o'connor from the perspective of flannery o'connor herself and i just think that's so um 
intriguing, and I have loved every single poem in this book. I would like you to tell me a little bit of background about why you chose this format and also just a little bit of personal information about yourself. Absolutely. Uh, thank you for your kind words about the poems. I'm so glad that you're enjoying them. Um, I've, uh, I'm a, a professor, uh, an English professor, and um, I've been reading Flannery O'Connor's stories since I was a freshman in college. Uh, when And I in instantly fell in love with her work when I read A Good Man is Hard to Find for the first time. Um, and I've been teaching her stories to thousands of university students over the decades that I've been teaching. Uh, so she's been very much a part of my life. Um, and then I, as a scholar, I've written several books about O'Connor. I wrote a, a biography of her a few years ago called Fiction Fired by Faith. Uh, I also wrote a book of hours, which was about, uh, it's, a, uh, it's looking at Flannery O'Connor's prayer life um, and inviting the reader to participate in it in particular ritualized ways. Um, I also wrote a book about her that's actually coming out very soon on, on uh, Flannery O'Connor and race, race and the writings of Flannery O'Connor. Um, so I've been spending a lot of time in recent years thinking about her, reading her letters, as well as her stories and having her very much inside of my head. Um, and it occurred to me that I would really like to externalize the interior conversations that I'm constantly having with her. Um, so I went ahead and wrote a poem without really intending it for to go, go very far, but wrote a poem from O'Connor's perspective, trying to sort of inhabit her world and look at the world through her eyes. And I really enjoyed that experience. Um, for one thing, as a poet, um, I, I write a lot of poetry um, and I am so frequently in, trapped inside of my own head. Uh, and this gave me an opportunity to not be in my own head and to be someone else for a while. Uh, and, and that's someone else, a person who's so extraordinary, interesting, extraordinarily interesting and smart and funny. Um, so it, it's a kind of an opportunity to um, you know, a, a, a disguise that one puts on and then can put off from poem to poem. Well, I imagine she, you know, with so much uh, research, she does inhabit your mind and your thoughts and would probably take them over from time to time. So this makes perfect sense. Yes, absolutely. She does. You, she, and she's so, if anyone who has read O'Connor's letters, and I'm sure many listeners have, uh, know that she just says the darndest things. Um, they're they're funny, they're memorable, they're absolutely right. She gets so many things right. Um, so another aspect of this book that I wanted to do, it, what, what I wanted to do in this book was to engage those sayings, engage her voice from the beginning. Uh, and so each poem begins with an epigraph from O'Connor's stories or her uh, letters or her essays. And then the rest of the, po or the poem that follows then sort of digs deeper. Um, tries to uncover exactly what it is that O'Connor was getting at when she says these sometimes puzzling, often strange and shocking things. Um, and so it's a, it's an opportunity, it was an opportunity for me to sort of do a, uh, to, to dig more deeply and to think more deeply about the, the wisdom of what it is that O'Connor says and that strikes us all as so, so um, memorable. Well, we opened today's episode with you reading Flannery's Prayer and when we were recording it, I almost chuckled out loud because with her saying, 
I am saying at present, I am a cheese. Make me a mystic immediately. I mean, how many of us don't want something that we are not intended to be? And we want it fast because we want things to change. And, you know, I mean, it, it was just priceless because then she goes on to talk. Or actually, you go on to talk in your poem. You expand on that a little bit. But... The, the final line that stuff that cheeses like me dream of. I mean, it's just the wit, but the, the, the depth of wisdom is. is yes. And, and also there's always a, a pathos in O'Connor. Um, she wrote those lines that, that are in the epigraph when she was 20, 21 years old and she was at the Iowa writers workshop and she was feeling very lonely, very homesick. She felt very abandoned um, by her tradition. She was worried she was going to lose her faith. Um, and so at this very, very serious moment when she really is feeling, uh, you know, fear, really existential terror, uh, she also is able to speak in ways that are so homespun and so grounded, you know, I'm a cheese. <laughs> <laughs> make me a mystic take me out of this place where i'm just an ordinary kind of something and transform me yeah and do it immediately please god what won't you um so it's like you you can't help but laugh but at the same time you, you feel this pang for her uh, because she means it you know um and and, and it's a, a prayer for, it's a prayer from the heart um against necessity yeah yeah yeah. Now, some of our listeners may not um, be as familiar with Flannery's background. Would you talk about her just a little bit? She comes from a very distinct perspective, and she also had some intense struggles in her growing up and in her very short life. Yes, absolutely. She, um, she was born in 1925 uh, in Savannah, Georgia. She was the only child. Uh, of a mother, a, a sort of typical Southern Belle mother who really wanted her daughter to also be a young lady, a proper young lady. Um, her father, on the other hand, did not have those expectations for Flannery. He was actually, she was much more like her dad. Um, and so as a child, um, she was a kind of an odd kid. Uh, she wasn't a stellar student, for example, at the local Catholic school. Um, they wanted her to learn how to spell. She had no interest in that. She wanted to draw ducks all the time <laughs> and, and write little stories and poems about birds. Um, she actually raised birds and she looked for chickens that were odd, you know, that had an extra wing or that had an oddly covered colored eye. She, she liked, as she liked, used to say, to collect freaks. Um, and, and this is when she's five years old, you know, she used to... Um, she said, knit little clothes for them, you know, and uh, there are many photos of Flannery with her chickens. And there's actually a famous little video of when Epathy's Epathy news photographer came to her home to um, film her uh, teaching one of her chickens to walk backwards. Um, unfortunately, the chicken would not comply uh, that particular day, but that is the sort of um, odd and interesting way in which this young, bright, um, unusual girl spent her time. Um, and all, she was also extraordinary in that she was born into a Catholic family in the South, uh, as we know, or certainly during that time, Catholicism was pretty rare in the South. Uh, so she grew up in this little kind of enclave, this little ghetto community of Catholics in Savannah. Uh, and then her family moved when she was about 13 to Milledgeville, Georgia, which is about an hour from Atlanta, 
another a small town, unlike unlike Savannah. Um, and again, there was just this little enclave of Catholics that lived there, basically her mother's extended family. So um, she grew up kind of in this little protected environment with her Catholic family. Uh, and she was always very smart. And they always knew that Flannery was going to be special in some kind of way. She always knew that she was going to be special in some kind of way. Um, she goes off uh, to the Iowa Writers Workshop as a young woman in her early 20s. Uh, for the first time, she is outside of that little Catholic world that she grew up in and um, is struggles, struggles mightily with her faith because suddenly she's with a lot of a lot of people who are either not from any religious background at all or have hold people that have religious backgrounds in contempt. Uh, and she's trying to figure out how can I become a writer? How can I um, navigate this new world of literature and literary people and not lose my faith? So we see her struggling from early on how to reconcile her identity as a writer with her identity as a Catholic. Um, she uh, has great success as a writer early on. She gets a book contract for her first novel. Um, she moves to New York City. She goes to the Iowa or, or to Yaddo, upstate New York's very famous uh, artist colony. She meets some very influential people. Yeah. And she finds herself at the age of 25 with a novel that's a, almost finished with a publisher who's going to publish it, a publishing house in New York City. And she's at the beginning of what is a very promising literary, uh, uh, literary career. Uh, and then she is diagnosed with lupus. She had lost her father to lupus when she was uh, in her teens. Uh, and now she herself had the disease. And at the time, the treatments were such that it basically was a death sentence. It was going to kill her eventually. And it was really a matter of trying to ameliorate her condition and keep her comfortable. So she was forced to move back to rural Georgia with her mother uh, in the farm that they lived in, the farmhouse, which is called Andalusia. Um, and uh, she lived there for the next 14 years of her life with her mother, uh, basically living a regular lo uh, life of getting up in the morning, going to mass, eating breakfast, writing for as a few hours a day, uh, and then spending the rest of the day painting, taking care of her 40 pea fowl that she raised, uh, and occasionally having guests. Um, so she lived a very regular life um, at Andalusia and uh, was able to um, do quite a bit of writing, actually, uh, because she kept to this kind of very rigid schedule uh, until she became too sick to do it. Uh, and then she died on August 3rd in 1964 at the age of 39. It's it's always um, remarkable to me when I look at the body of work that she completed. It, she was an incredible person, an incredible thinker, an amazing writer. Yeah, she was a person also yeah. of great, um, uh, not only great skill, great talent, uh, but also she was a craftswoman and she would write and rewrite and yeah. rewrite her stories so that when we read them, we really get this sense of somebody with someone who has just so such a fine grained sensibility. She has fine tuned every one of the stories. Nothing is wasted. Um, and I so uh, appreciate right. that work ethic that she has. And one of the ways that I try to honor that in the poems is um, even though these poems are trying very much to get the feel of Flannery's voice, capture her accent, capture the rhythms of her speech, um, which of course are in prose because all of us speak in prose. Um, 
they, they are still very right. carefully um, made poems. Each one is in fact a sonnet. Um, and they use the kind, they use rhyme schemes that are not typical of sonnets. Um, the, the rhymes move around quite a bit, yeah. um, but there's still this structure um, at the heart, at the root of e each one of the poems. And there's a kind of a music that each of them has uh, that is, I, I, I would call it subtle. It's, it's very, I've written a lot of sonnets in my life. Um, these are different because th there is a kind of subtlety to the way in which you hear the rhymes and you hear the music. Uh, it's very easy to hear these poems read and not realize that they're sonnets. But then when you see them on the page, you see the rhyme scheme and your eye shows you something that your ear didn't necessarily catch. Um, yeah, so I, I kind of right, like the, right. the, um, the approach of trying to honor her craftsmanship uh, with my own uh, and to give her these, these little speeches that are really well-made well speeches. Well, you did that very effectively. Um, it, it's just wonderfully done. And they're each one in and of itself, you know, is something to spend some time with because if you are familiar with Flannery's writings, you catch that, that her, her voice, you catch that cadence in how she um, expresses herself. But then, like you said, visually, if you're looking at the page, sometimes it doesn't add up. You know, your, your, your mind battles with your uh, knowledge in some ways, but it's really, uh, they're absolutely wonderful. I am wondering if you would be willing to share a piece with us, uh, pick something and read it so that our readers can get, or our listeners can get a chance to absolutely. enjoy um, it. A lot of these poems are, um, are, are humorous. Uh, as well as serious. I don't know if you'd like a serious one or a, <laughs> or a humorous one uh, to kind of capture her sense of humor. That would be, whatever is, is speaking to you okay. today. There's one that Flannery wrote about, well, there's one that I wrote in which Flannery talks about her, um, her writing. Um, and it also uh, evokes another thing that this poem evokes. Flannery, while she was living in a kind of exile at Andalusia for 14 years, was also constantly corresponding with people from all over the world. She was a very, very generous letter writer. Uh, and um, people would write to her about her stories, perfect strangers, and she would always write back to them. Students would write to her. Um, and then, she, of course, she kept up long correspondences with, with good friends over the years. Um, so a lot of her best writing, I think, O'Connor does in her uh, in her letters. So this particular poem is called Flannery's Pottage. Uh, and in it, um, the epigraph, she talks about one of the reviews that she got from one of her readers. Quote, some old lady said that my book left a bad taste in her mouth. I wrote back to her and said, you weren't supposed to eat it. Flannery's Pottage. I can't help wondering what it tasted like. Burnt biscuits, buttermilk gone sour, potato salad that's turned in the sun. I suppose the tang of fact is bitter. It doesn't set kindly on the tongue. But I know no other way to cook, to tell a story or to write a book. Evil sin and just plain old mistake will salt my stew, no matter what I do to keep them out. They are the spice of life savory and unsweet, flavor so true you can slice it thick with a butter knife. 
chicken pot pie made with spoiled chicken. It seems my typewriter is my kitchen. That's one of my personal favorites in the book. She paints such a, you, you paint, I keep getting her confused with you. You paint such a wonderful picture. And I could just, I could just see her sitting there doing that. Yes, it, you know? and it's kind of a Great. fun activity to do because Flannery didn't, she wasn't really a big fan of poetry. Um, she, she used to write poems when she was a small child and she wrote a couple as an adult. In one of her letters, she sends one of her poems off to her friend, Sally Fitzgerald. And she says, um, you know, attached is a poem. It's about a peacock, of course, because Flannery was obsessed with peacocks. And she said, um, um, she yeah. says about poetry that I think it's a filthy habit for a fiction writer to get into. <laughs> so I kind of love this idea that here, here's, here I am practicing my filthy habit <laughs> and reading all of these poems that Flannery <laughs> could have written if she really wanted to, but she didn't. Um, so, so it's it's kind of right, fun. Right, right. Fantastic, fantastic. Now, um, I would like to ask you to share some of your social media locations so that people can look you up and <laughs> maybe buy some more books. <laughs> I highly recommend Andalusian Hours. It's just the perfect book to kind of take our minds off of what's going on right now in case you need an escape. I don't know about anybody else, but I do. <laughs> And you wrote, is it, is it yes, eight this is other my, books this of poetry? My, actually, this is my eighth book of poems, my eighth collection. Send us Absolutely. Your well, my, my, um, I have a website. It's AngelaAlimoO'Donnell.com. Um, it's uh, A-N-G-E-L-A-A-L-A-I-M-O-O-D-O-N-N-E-L-L.com. Uh, my books are available on Amazon. Uh, they're also available through my publisher, Paraclete Press, um, uh, and uh, I have several other publishers as well, but they're all available on Amazon. I am uh, on Twitter, uh, AOD, AODonnell, uh, and I'm also on Facebook, so I encourage people to feel free to get in touch with me. I'd love to talk about Flannery. I'd love to talk about poetry uh, and communicate with readers. This book, in a way, is, is timely for us. I was just making a comment to a friend the other day that, um, you know, all of us are doing our self-quarantining, our self-isolation. Um, this is something Flannery did every day. Um, mm -hmm. she, she basically went up to her room and she wrote for several hours and she thrived on it. She kind of lived like a modern day monk um, and, um, and de devoted herself. And this is why it's about the hours, devoted herself to the liturgy of the hours as they unfolded you know, moment by moment. And it's kind of an invitation to us too to kind of live like Flannery very deliberately um, and and work at whatever it is that our vocation happens to be in, in the context of this private, um, suddenly um, sanctified little world that each of us is being given an opportunity to create. With that, that's a perfect way to end it. <laughs> I don't think I can I can make anything more more important or poignant than that. So I just want to thank you. Uh, it was a delight to talk with you. And um, even though we experienced a little bit of technical difficulty in the beginning, I'm so grateful that we got it hammered out. And I thank you so much, Susan. The pleasure was all mine.
please take a moment to find Angela on Instagram at Angela.A.O'Donnell, that's O-D-O-N-N-E-L-L, and on Twitter at A O'Donnell Angela. Also visit her website at AngelaAlamoO'Donnell.com to learn more about her work and visit ParacletePress.com to order your own copy of Andalusian Hours. That's it for today. Thank you for taking time to listen. And as you go into your own new normal, I hope you can carve out some time to do whatever it is that brings you moments of joy, of beauty. And if you, like me, enjoy the filthy habit of poetry, find those moments to write. I'm going to close with a thank you to our sponsors and supporters. Marketing is never my thing. And it's been a goal to keep PoetKind free to listeners and subscribers. We don't have a website, and we utilize social media as our primary source for getting the word out. I'm not really comfortable with paid sponsorship advertising because I haven't discovered relevant content that I could get behind with a clear conscience. This said, there is the option to support PoetKind as a sort of patron. There's always a link on most platforms that will take you to a page where you can support us for as little as 99 cents a month. Sponsoring us this way helps PoetKind move forward and cover what nominal expenses the podcast incurs. Everything from business cards to postage, headphones to microphones. There are other ways to support PoetKind as well. We have a wish list on Amazon because to grow into the next phase, to record off-site or have multiple guests and provide other opportunities, we need to upgrade along the way. The best way to support us, though, is to keep listening. Tell others about us. And let me know what you want to hear. Thank you to the brave ones who decided we are bringing good things to their earbuds and want to keep us going. We believe in our message here that it's okay to compare notes, not each other, that we are so much better together. Thank you for listening. And remember, stay six feet away from each other. Even though we're better together, that doesn't mean we should be close. And follow us on Instagram and Twitter at PoetKind Podcast. Take care. Please stay healthy. Write kind, create kind, live kind, poet kind. If you made it this far, you've reached the postscript. I occasionally add one when the conversation continues after the interview is over. I asked Angela about some of her other books, and we talked a little bit about Still Pilgrim, another of her books of poetry. For some reason, that one sticks in my head, though I don't think I. Yes, it came out in 2017, and, and if you if you look it up on Amazon and you see the cover, okay. you'll see why it is a perfect again a perfect okay. book for this moment. And I'm not just saying this because I'm promoting myself. I'm saying it because it's like, how did I know that we were going to have like three years later this situation where we're all sitting still? <laughs> uh, because it's about it's about pilgrimage, but it's about not right. are, can we still be on pilgrimage when we are sitting still um it, it seems like a, an oxymoron it's a paradox yeah. uh but yet of course yes we are still on pilgrimage even though we can't go anywhere we can't do anything and the cover is edward hopper's um wonderful uh, uh, image of a young woman sitting on her bed look <laughs> yeah I, 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 I know exactly the one well, and everyone's because, you know, the, the pilgrimage is intended to be a personal thing. And I think so many of us are going to be finding ourselves 
more ensconced in being in personal pilgrimage and developing our own characters and how we deal and cope with the situation we're faced with. But she's obviously trapped in her apartment and there's this kind of sense, I mean, she's all of us, you know, I, I, suddenly that's cover, which I've been looking at for three years, struck me anew the other day because of the condition that I'm in. It's like, oh, that's totally my life right now. <laughs> you know, what, what it means to grow as an individual when you're faced with one, unknowns, but also your, I think our freedoms in some way feel like they've been mm-hmm. taken away, although it's for good cause, <laughs> you know, and something as simple as, yeah, you know, you learn to appreciate to go out your front door and take a deep breath and, and revel in the gift of that. So it's going to, I think it's really a pilgrimage of, of sorts for each. Of Absolutely. Us and also being forced to spend a lot of time with ourselves. And, and what are we going to make with, of that time? I, I think a lot of yes. people, I hope anyway, are going to be turning to, you know, how, there's only so much binge watching a person can do, you know. <laughs> people will get bored and it's kind of like, they'll be writing, they'll keep journals, they'll start thinking about artful photography, they'll start trying, they'll start making things. Um, and find modes of self-expression that they don't usually, yeah. they're usually too busy, too preoccupied or too social to be able to pursue. Um, so I, I think it's a, it's a moment. It can be a really graced moment um, for, for people who aren't fortunate enough. I mean, as a writer, I, f- I feel very lucky. I get to spend lots of time alone thinking about, you know, words and, and art and beauty and, and, you know, spiritual matters. Um, but, uh, a lot of people don't have that, um, and I'm very, you know, I'm glad that they're going to get a chance to do it, you know. <laughs>